You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Uh, Tonight, it's Andrew and Paul doing a quick intro here for our show this week with Mark Wiley from the Ohio Division of Wildlife. But first, we will uh, get you caught up. Uh, Paul, you're rolling, buddy. So you're you're just cruising down the road and uh, on your way back from down south. Yeah, I am, man. Headed back from Alabama. Coming home empty-handed. Uh, I had a, about a day and a half to hunt uh, Alabama with, with Mike Pentecost from Woodhaven. And uh, Tuesday, it was like 35-mile-an-hour wind constantly. And for those of you that have turkey hunted, you know how hard that is. For those of you that haven't turkey hunted, I'd rather hunt in downpour than 20-mile-an-hour winds. Uh, so, yeah, man, it was tough. Had had a couple run-ins today on, uh, on a big piece of property we were at. Spooked a turkey. One of the guys I was hunting with that was doing some video work, Dylan Hazen, great guy, uh, we, we, had, we had a turkey goblin. Uh, and so I, I've been dealing with, like, this, like, sinus infection, like, weird, like, pressure in my ears, so I can't hear anything, Andrew. When I'm in the woods, it's, I mean, it's driving me nuts. My, my ears are popping all the time. And so those poor guys had to, like, listen for that to do all the work, right? And so Dylan had this turkey goblin. We're, we're trying to move in to get into position to, you know, hunt this bird. And uh, we were around the corner, and he's standing in the middle of the road, middle of the trail. Were you guys up so, higher than him, or, or lower, or what? Cause oh, got... yeah, yeah. We, they, they, were, they were hanging down, so it was like we were hunting the edge of the property. Like, so we were on a road, like a trail, uh, and, and the right side of the trail, so like the, uh, the, I guess it was the south side of the trail was the property line. And so all, a lot of turkeys were down. I mean, it was like a 200-foot drop. Like like a gradual slope, not like a cliff or anything. It was like you know, just, so we're 200 feet above this beautiful little river bottom, creek bottom. Lots of green vegetation. It's you know, 10 degrees cooler than it is in the sunshine. And so those turkeys had been hanging out there, just gobbling like crazy. 
uh, and we, you know, we had to pull them up off of the, off of the other property. Um, so, I mean, it was a hard, it was a hard thing to do, but I mean, it worked. We got them up. We just didn't realize, I don't know if there were more turkeys, but we, we, uh, kind of rounded this bend to get in and that sucker was standing right there, man. And Dylan, I mean, he, he walked face first into him. <laughs> so, uh, huh. all good, man. It, it happens. Spooks, spooking turkeys sucks. Uh, that was really the only, only run-in, literal and figurative, that we had uh, today. Had a couple others goblin, but it was it was still, man, it was a lot of fun. Learned a lot. It's it's great hunting with people that are really good turkey hunters, you know, and, and, and you just learn learn a ton. So what's uh what's but, a pop, pop, what, what's the population look like down there as far as birds? Are they having a rebound like some of the other places seem to be reporting? Um, you know, so it's 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 funny. Like you talk to to anyone in any turkey hunter. And then he said, well, we, we don't have the turkeys like we used to. Uh, that's probably true. Um, all I know is the turkeys that I did hear, I saw and heard a lot of turkeys in Alabama this year. Uh, I saw a ton driving down, you know, alongside of the road uh, or in fields. So Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, the four states I've been in uh, this year, I, man, I am seeing turkeys everywhere. So I feel good about it. Um, I think people just need to have a little more, you know, have a positive outlook, you know, but being so negative about it, you know, it's your hunting's hard. You're not going to hear them gobble nonstop all of the time. Right. So I feel good. About, I feel good about the populations that I've seen uh, just, to, you know, from a non-science perspective, hunting and just drive, literally driving down the road. So. Good. Good, good, good. So yeah. you're on your way back. Uh, what do we what do you got on the agenda we've got opener will come up on april 22nd so this show will release uh oh the 20th somewhere in there so yeah, we're, there we're recording this a little bit ahead of time um gotta get some stuff in yeah we got, we got some vacations to not for us but for from the sportsman's empire guys the, the head early. corporate headquarters of the sportsman's empire is taking a little turkey turkey trip uh so as of as of this morning at what six twenty five a.m the emperor had already put his bird in the box is that what we've seen i know you said he was trolling yeah. you pretty hard he, so he he tagged me in a post on instagram at like four thirty in the morning i was on my way to the woods he tagged me he's like oh i'm turkey on and i'm like hey good for you so i texted him i'm like so damn proud of you um six twenty six he sends me a picture of a turkey He's like, this is easy. And at this point in time, like, I'd been getting worked over by a couple of birds at that point. And I was just beside myself uh, when that happens. When I saw the post, I was mildly pissed. I was like, you son, uh, of, you, it, you son of a bitch. You're the one that makes people like me look bad. Like, I'm going to spend yeah. weekends away from my family trying to find a bird. And you're the one posting, up. Oh, I walked out 300 yards and put down a bird. This is not that hard. Yeah. Like, thanks, Dan. Let's go screw yourself. You know, you know I, 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 so I called him on my way back. I said, I said, Dan, you're not supposed to shoot the turkey that's living in the farm, the farmyard. <laughs> someone, someone said, he hadn't called back yet. But, I mean, you're good for him, man. I, I'm, I'm happy he got a turkey. But, I mean, it's like the equivalent of, like, shooting a Boone and Crockett buck off of, like, 500 pounds of corn. 
from a from an enclosed tree stand with a heater. Like you just walk up and sit in the stand and you shoot them off. I'm not saying Dan's baiting turkeys. What I'm saying is that's a nice cushy turkey. That always happen like that. So yeah. Good for him. I want to get out. I want I want him to experience the back and forth battle, man, where they're where they're coming, just working you over. So funny. You too, man. When you get you over your turkey. I'll take one of those cushy turkeys to start. I'm not going to lie. That would be great. So, yeah. anywho. Um, Mike Pentecost, made, he had this, like, this genius saying. Gary, you know, we are just all, all week, man, for the, the last two days. He, he said that, you know, he's like, kill turkeys with either your feet or your seat. Either your feet are going to hurt or your ass is going to hurt because you're sitting waiting them out. And we did a little bit of both, but, I mean, there was a point, man, where we we didn't we had turkeys around us. We just couldn't get them to. And they had hens all over them. We couldn't get them to work in. And I didn't move for like four hours, and then all of a sudden we had to get up and move. My foot's asleep. My hips are asleep. And I like fell over, man. I didn't like catch myself on the tree because I tried to I tried to run up this hill. Kill me, beat or you see. That's good. I, I like that. I like that. All right, let's see. Uh, so. I haven't done a whole lot since the last time we were on here. The uh, I did go out one night to try and call in some coyotes. So I'm, you know, we're, we're pretty real on this, Paul, on this show, Paul. And uh, I went out uh, what nine thirty, something like that, over an area that had been just been like that day had been uh, control burned, burned, yeah, control burned. So. They were saying that that's a great time to come out because the coyotes will come out to do, you know, whatever, find mice and, and eat the mouses. Eat the mouses. Uh, so I, I went out there and I was sitting up in a good perch and everything. And uh, I was using my the X-Vision scope. So shout out to them. But I didn't. I'm an idiot. And it's, it's one of those learning things. I don't know about you, Paul, but when I go deer hunting, the first sit or two, like, I have to remember everything I need. Like, what I need to take with me, what makes noise, what I don't need to take with me, uh, you know, different things like that. Well, one thing I forgot to do was uh, check the batteries in my my Predator call. So, I've got one of those little e-caller or whatever you call them. And I didn't check the batteries, so I got out there and realized that I didn't have a working call. So I was going to just sit out there and scan for a couple hours, and that was fine. It's, I'll tell you, cons- compared to going to Missouri and in Oklahoma, when you've got multiple other eyes on the field, I'm sure that helps a lot. And you're constantly scanning; you got multiple people scanning. You know, it, it just is. You've got, it's like even hunting in the day. If you've got other people sitting there saying, okay, there's one over there, it's one or whatever. Um, it also would have helped if I had a call, I think. But um, <clears throat> I did not see any coyotes that night. I heard some off in the distance. I didn't, you know, again, I couldn't call them. But that thermal is crazy because I sent you the video. But um, I had a bobcat walking across the field. And I'm pretty sure I should say I'm pretty sure it, it's it was cool watching this thing. It just no tail walking like like a little lion yeah. right across the field. And he was probably a couple 200, 250 yards out. But that was neat to watch. Um, There's rabbits everywhere. Uh, I think skunk saw some deer off in the distance. It's amazing what that that scope will do. But so no luck there. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of a quick in and out thing but 
We'll give it hell again. I'm, what's the what's, what's the X Vision website, Andrew? Uh, X Vision Optics dot com. So hop on there, check their stuff out if you get a chance. Sawyer and the guys are uh, he was at their show there a couple weeks ago. If you want to hear more about the actual science and the technology side of things, it's pretty. He goes pretty in depth. But they've got all kinds of stuff on there for night vision and um, thermals, range finders, binoculars, all that kind of stuff. So pretty cool stuff. And we look forward to more stuff coming from them in the future. Um, while we're on this, you can also find some X-Vision products on Go Wild uh, on their shopping feature. So check out Go Wild. It's uh, time to go wild.com. Our buddies over there. We were on the group text today getting geared up for a fishing trip. Do a little wall, walleye stab in there and uh, at the walleye festival. That'll be fun. That'll be a good time. And, uh, yeah, we appreciate all the support from those guys. So what else we got, Paul? So we've got uh, First Light. I was uh, enjoying my leafy suit today, man. Work out well for you? It, dude, I love, I love it paired with the wick short sleeve when it's hot out. That is my go-to turkey hunting setup right there man. speaking of of when it's hot out they just released the trace pant right and quarter zip so these are some uh, some of the new 2023 line and i'm looking at it right now um for ideally it, i mean they've got them in inspector and, and really i think all the colors but the early early season hunts so i, I think back last year going up to Kildeer when it was uh, that opening early weekend and it was 90 degrees it would have been nice um, for that, but I think it might also come in handy turkey season because I'll tell you what, Paul, it was warm here today, man. It was nice, but yeah, I mean, Ohio, our turkey season is so weird. I mean, we, we can hunt when it's like twenty six, and then in two weeks you could be hunting in ninety degree weather, right? And sometimes it's twenty so, twenty six yeah. at the start of the day and ninety degrees by noon. Layer, layer up, man. Yeah, but, layer up. Uh, Midwest Gunworks. So we've got our code on there is Ohio Outdoors five. Save you five percent. We appreciate you, Cameron, and all the guys over there, uh, and ladies that are doing everything. Um, Telling if you're fixing, if you work, if you're working on a gun. That parts finder, Andrew, is legit. That thing is intuitive, really easy to use. Ton of information there, schematics. Check out their YouTube page too. Camera does the uh, the breakdown of the uh, different firearms. So, yeah, the, those, gunworks.com, those are gr- great videos. Great videos there. So, uh, oh man, they are. Yeah. So I think half rack half dash rack dot com. Our last partner of the show and was uh, it Paul Ohio those Outdoors? Oh my gosh, yeah, Ohio Outdoors fifteen save fifteen percent. Here is a. Uh, little secret though, there's 20% off site wide if you use code Turkey right now. So, oh, yeah, there you go. So, use code Turkey this yeah. time. Get you do Boone Sling, that thing's freaking sweet. Hunter hangers, those things are good. Snack packs, yeah, good, stuff. good stuff there. So, appreciate all of our partners helping us out there. Uh, let's see, anything else, Paul? I don't have a whole lot of news because we're on a kind of a short window here, but. I would yeah. like to say. So what? 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 I. So what? Mark Wiley say? I. I. I wasn't there for this interview. Uh, I was working. I don't know what was going on. But yeah. What do you have to say about the turkey? 
population here in the state of Ohio. So Mark and I had a great conversation, and we talked a lot about um, kind of the state of, of the birds at this point. And we recapped last year, going into this year. Uh, we talked a little bit about the research project that you were involved with. Um, I don't know if I still have my notes here. Did he tell you that I got to hold that turkey and was like a little freaking kid in a candy store? Uh, yeah, and we discussed the rocket launcher gun because it still it sounds really cool in my mind. Um, yeah, so we covered all kinds of stuff, though. But Mark is wealth of knowledge and discussed uh, all the upland bird ideas and that kind of stuff. I mean, he's your he's your go-to there. So one of the other things, and I actually sent this to him. I think I sent it to you too, Paul. After I got off the phone with him, um, I went out shed hunting a day or two later. And I came across those woodcocks that on this one oh, pro- yeah. property that I, I hunt, um, man, I'm telling you, I, I was walking through the woods, I'm looking at the ground and I scared off a woodcock and, you know, they, hun- they hunker down right until you about step on them. So she flies oh, off yeah. and then I realized that there's three babies right there. And I mean, they talk, they look like day old chicks. These things were so tiny and the, the blending. Oh my gosh. Mother nature's ability to blend and camouflage animals is incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I took a video and some pictures and stuff. And I sent it to Mark and he was very interested in about that. To me, the craziest part is, and I should probably, I don't know if they're still alive at this point, but ground nesting bird, I think I'm assuming they're ground nesting, but, um, Whatever they were all on the ground when I found them. The this this group of birds was thirty yards from a camera, and I'm telling you, every night there is a coyote that walks through that by that camera. Oh my gosh! So I don't know if they're just dodging the bullets there. If it's just, I would you think the dog would be able to smell them, but um, whatever. It's tough ground nesting bird, man. I mean, that's that's the reality. I mean, turkeys deal with it all the time. Yeah, I kicked. I, I I I bumped a turkey off of a nest uh, today. Yeah, she just but there were no eggs in her nest. I didn't even see her. I was ten feet from her nest. I didn't see her until she got up. That's crazy. I was I was collecting pine cones I, for my wife. I wasn't even, I wasn't even hunting. <laughs> I was walking through the woods, picking up pine wood and pine cones. Oh, pardon so. me, ma'am. I'm just collecting pine cones. <laughs> so. But anyway, so this is a good talk for with Mark. We'd like to have Mark on um, at least to start the season. Hopefully, get him on to recap, see what what comes up. But I think you guys will enjoy this one and keep you rolling wow. closer to turkey season. So, like I said, this is going to launch on like the nineteenth, twentieth, and then we open. So, I hope everybody's excited. Yeah, if you want some 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 more turkey content, how to hunt turkeys, that podcast is rocking. So. Shameless plug, but there it is. You get the the nitty gritty. Shameless plug. Yeah, that's it, man. With your host Paul Campbell. That Joel. Yeah. That's been fun, man. That's been a lot of fun getting to meet all these cool people and talk about turkeys. Dude, you've had some killer guests know. on there. I have, yeah. It's been it's it's been uh this guy's been great. So and I've got more coming. I've got a couple recorded that I don't think I'm gonna like probably release them next year yeah. just because we're we're kind of running out of time you know good stuff well paul my friend (laughs) drive drive safe 
drive safe, get back to us, and uh, come over. I, I got something I can help put you to work on if you get bored. You got it, buddy. So take care, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. See you, guys. Our special guest, Mr. Mark Wiley of the Ohio Department of Natural Resources Division of Wildlife, right? Mark, how are you today? I'm doing well. We were just talking here beforehand, but uh, you look a little tired. Uh, you've been you've been up early today? <laughs> I don't know if I should be offended by that. Or I, not. <laughs> that's my favorite. People are like, man, you look worn out. I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah, a lot of early mornings um, for wildlife staff in the spring, running surveys and, and so forth. So what were you out doing today? And I mean, like, what does that look like on a daily basis? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so the Division of Wildlife runs uh, gobbling and drumming routes in early April, just ahead of the spring turkey season. So we're, we are, of course, lift, listening for gobbling turkeys um, and also drumming rough grouse. Uh, so the the calls of or the, the, the displays and calls of those two birds uh, kind of overlap here in early April. Um, and so we go out and we've got uh, uh, about 30 routes in eastern Ohio. And it, it gives us some sense of what gobbling activity is doing. Of course, that's highly variable with weather and, and what's going on with breeding activity. Um, but it's also really important that we get out and we, and we try to get some sense of what rough grouse populations are doing because they're struggling in, in recent years, certainly. So what was this morning like? Was it a good morning? Was the weather cooperative? Did the birds make noise? I had two birds, uh, one gobbling his head off and one just let out one late morning. And, uh, so, uh, for that route in Vinton County, it was a, it was a pretty quiet morning. Okay. What do you, I mean, what's a good, good morning where you hear just. Um, so we, we, we make 10 stops along a route they're about a half mile apart probably not too different than what a lot of people are doing scouting ahead of the season, uh, making a bunch of stops at various places through a state forest or wildlife area on that route in, in Vinton County. Uh, I think I've had as many as, uh, you know, 15 gobblers. Uh, it, when, the, when you get that many out there, I'm sure you've experienced that when the, you get one sounding off and sets off others, you kind of get that chain reaction. It kind of gets tough to keep track of how many birds you've got out there. Um, but it's it's not unusual for me to hear birds on uh, more than half of those stops in Vinton County and often hear multiple birds. So uh, to just hear two birds this morning, uh, even though one of them was gobbling a lot, uh, it was it was a little bit quiet. Yeah, so I'll run that route again uh, in the next few days, and I hope to hear a little bit better gobbling activity on that route so just to recap you're getting paid to scout is what basically i just heard so uh that sounds like a pretty good gig now, but um so one of the things i want to talk about is kind of like a preview for 2023 uh i know it's no secret the across the country really um people have talked about the decline in turkey population with your gobbling studies and some of the other research and stuff you guys are doing what does Mark Wiley think this year's hunters should expect when they got in the woods? Are they going to see more birds than last year? Is it, uh, are we in a better spot? What, what are we thinking? I think we're going to have more birds than last year. Um, and we don't necessarily look to the gobbling data for that. We look at our poult data. Uh, so we collect 
poll observations during the months of July and August. We collect those from the public. Just tell us how many turkeys you saw during those months, how many adults, how many hens, how many males, um, and how many poults. Um, and, and normally that poult data gives us uh, a sense of what's to come two years later, so two years down the road. Uh, so very fortunately, two years ago, uh, 2021, summer of, of 2021, uh, we had a really good poll year. Our poll uh, numbers were well above average. Uh, the long-term average is about 2.7 polts per hen. Um, and I think we were at 3.0 or 3.1. Um, and then to add to that, last summer, 2021, well, excuse me, 2022, um, was another really good year. So there's likely to be a lot of jakes on the landscape as well. So, so I, I expect, uh, hunt, Ohio hunters are going to encounter increased gobbling activity because of those good poult classes. And then I expect to see our spring permit success rate go up a little bit. Uh, it already went up last year over the previous year. So our, our permit success rate was up in 2022. I expect it to go up again a little bit in 2023. So how many how many birds were harvested last year in twenty two? Yeah, last year was eleven thousand eight hundred seventy two. So I love when you well guys below get, you guys get the right, numbers. You get right to the exact number. Mar- oh, uh, I've got it. Uh, Mike Tonkovich. Right <laughs> Mike Tonkovich does the exact same thing. <laughs> Mike Tonkovich probably has them memorized. He, I've got a sheet in front of me because I I know you're going to ask. <laughs> he does. I'd be like, Mike, how many deer were harvested in nineteen ninety four? And he rattles off, you know, exactly what the number was, but. That doesn't surprise me at all. That's funny. So 11,000 plus birds last year. That, what does that look like for, I don't know, the 10 or 20 year average? Uh, that is very low. Um, but I, I, I caution a lot of times when people see that harvest total, uh, they get really concerned. Um, but uh, of course, 2022 was unique compared to the previous 20 years. Uh, because we only had a one bird bag limit in the spring, one bearded bird versus two bearded birds. Uh, so right there, you're you're taking several thousand birds out of the harvest as we typically, uh, our hunters typically uh, harvest a, a few thousand um, second birds each year and have for, for two decades almost. So it's low um, when you look at the total. But again, I, I try to focus on permit success rate. Uh, so what percentage of our spring permits were filled? Uh, because you've also got a complicating factor that is declining hunter numbers. Each year uh, since the early 2000s, we've had fewer and fewer permits issued in the spring. Uh, so at our peak of 90 some thousand permits 20 years ago, we're now, uh, or we, when we were still issuing two permits in 2021, uh, we were down uh, to about 60,000 permits. So a loss of roughly 30,000 uh, over that time. Um, and then, of course, in 2022, with the, the bag limit change, we're no longer issuing second permits. So we saw a big dip in our permit sales as well in 2022. So I try to steer people away from the harvest total and have them focus on permit success rate, which in a good year, it approaches 25%. So one out of four permits is being filled in the spring. 
Um, and, and we were, I believe, right around 22, 21 or 22 last year. And that was up from the previous year. And again, I, I'm hopeful with good pulp numbers over the last two years that we're going to see it, it creep up a little bit more this, this spring. So, and that all makes perfect sense to me. Uh, we don't have Paul on today, so you don't get the real, the real bird brain here to discuss uh, all the, the in-depth stuff. I'm more, much more surface level, but overall you think the health of the flock is headed in the right direction. I do. I mean, for for two decades, Ohio's turkey population, and and not just Ohio, uh, other states as well, have observed a considerable considerable amount of fluctuation in their turkey populations. You have up years, you have down years, and you sort of bounce between those every few years. Um, it was unique recently that we had a string of bad years uh, and, and those were sort of what kicked all of that off was a string of bad pulp years. Our pulp index dropped for three consecutive years, well below the average. Um, and, and that, that alarmed a lot of people. It alarmed us as well. We wanted to understand why we were hopeful that things would bounce back and that we weren't seeing the start of a long-term trend of some form uh, as some States have seen more of a long-term decline in turkey numbers. So very fortunately, as I, as I mentioned, we have seen pulp numbers increase in recent years. So it, it, it's starting to look more like we just had a few bad years in a row and, and we might be bouncing back from that. So that leads me to believe that we're still in a good place. We still have good turkey numbers out there. Our, our hunter success rate was never too far below what what our long-term average was you know in that 20 to 22 percent i think we fell down to maybe 18 percent success rate which um, doesn't sound that much lower than 20 but when you think about 50 to 60 thousand hunters you're you're talking a few thousand birds that that are are no longer in that spring harvest so i do think we're in a good place Uh, we have initiated some research with ohio state university looking at hen survival and reproductive output. Uh, and, and that is hopefully going to help us better understand the mechanics of that fluctuation that I mentioned. So when we have those bad poll years or when we have those good poll years, uh, we'd like to better understand why, you know, what are some of the, the factors that are driving that fluctuation up and down? Uh, some of that is understood or has been researched in the past. Um, so for any number of ground nesting birds, you can rattle off all the things that impact them, uh, not only hen survival while they're nesting, but the, the success of that nest uh, and, and then poult survival. You've got weather, you've got predation, uh, potentially disease, uh, and then habitat quality and availability sort of impacts all of those things. So uh, that's what OSU is going to help us better understand as we follow hens across the landscape over the next couple of years is you know, what is their survival like and what is impacting their survival? Uh, what, what is, what are their movement patterns and habitat use? Uh, what are those, those trends look like? Um, and then what's their nest success? We met, we, we measured next nest success pretty thoroughly about 17 years ago. 
uh, and use some of that data to set the spring season uh, and some of the other season, fall season as well. Uh, that data has been really important for our regulation setting process, but it's almost two decades old now, and a lot of things have changed on the Ohio landscape. Uh, we recognize that predator communities have certainly changed over the past 20 years. Weather patterns seem to have changed. I'm certainly not a weather expert, but it seems like we have more severe fluctuations in, in spring weather, um, certainly. And so we want to try to better understand some of those some of those things with this research. So just for our listeners who maybe have not heard you talk or need to be reminded, the poll surveys that you guys do, what are you looking at with that? I mean, you, you're just out in that time frame observing hens and their poults following behind them, right? Or, you know, how many they've got on average? Is there a certain age you're looking for those poults to be? Um, are you going out to find the nest and, and see what's, what's around? Uh, so yeah, the summer poult survey, uh, is actually a survey that's it's we've sort of standardized the procedure across the the range of the eastern subspecies for sure but i think that's the survey is even in use uh, in some of the western states with other subspecies but in essence we're collecting any observation just opportunistic observations of wild turkeys during the months of july and august and we we've selected those months uh, because most of the nesting effort is over at that time. And you've got hens with fairly large poults for the most part. They're going to be observable. Uh, and, and if there were any losses to a brood uh, when those poults are very young, uh, they would have already occurred. So you get a more accurate assessment of how many poults might make it to adulthood in essence. So basically we'll collect any observations from the public, from wildlife staff, from forestry staff, uh, whoever is willing to submit an observation of wild turkey during the months of July and August. Um, and we take all of that information, how many males, how many females, how many poults, and we basically break all of that down. Uh, the most important we, we want all observations of wild turkey, but then we glean from that the observations of hens and poults, and we produce that index that I mentioned of the average number of poults per hen. Uh, and, and with it, we also get the number of hens that actually have poults with them, gives us some sense. That's another measure sort of, of, of reproductive success. You don't like to see a lot of lone hens with no poults, means you something has happened that year likely and you you had a lot of unsuccessful hens um and at the same time we don't want to see a lot of hens with only one pole uh so, something is occurring that they just weren't that successful recruiting colts into the population that year uh so again our long-term average is 2.7 it doesn't seem like a lot of poles your average clutch size is 11 um and and uh uh, but take take into account, you know, we're including all those lone hens. They bring that average down. They've got zero poults, so they're they're really in, impacting that average. Um, and we're also taking those observations at the end of the summer. So again, even a hen that successfully hatched eleven eggs, twelve eggs, uh, she's going to lose poults, especially very small poults. And so when you get into July and August, 
and they're half her size or three quarters her size, their survival rate is much greater than it was when they were very small. So that's why we only collect in that narrow window of months at the end of the summer. Um, and again, other states are doing the same thing we're doing. They're collecting at the same time, the same way. And now we're able to collect, to compare our pulp data to Indiana, to Kentucky, to Pennsylvania, and get some sense of the patterns that are happening, not just in Ohio, but regionally across the range of, of the eastern turkey, eastern subspecies. So with our surrounding states, are we seeing similar results? We often do. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so when we have a good year, uh, it seems our neighboring states have good years as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, it lends a little bit of credibility to the, the hypothesis that weather is having a tremendous impact on 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 wild turkey and and weather impacts predation and other factors as well. So it's it's not just weather, um, but uh, when you see trends like that year to year, where we're up and our neighbors are up. Uh, or we're down and our neighbors are down. It's it's something more than uh, often people want to boil it down to simply predation. Uh, certainly, a lot of nests, a lot of a lot of eggs, a lot of hens meet their fate uh, with a predator. But that's not always. Habitat plays a role. Weather plays a role in, in predation rates as well. Yeah, and I think you and I and Paul have talked about this in the past. I know Paul and I have. Everybody today in today's society just wants to find that silver bullet, right? Let's point the finger at one thing, whether it's predation or, you know, insecticides or, or whatever. And I think oftentimes it's much more of a gray area than a, a black and white thing. If it was black and white, you know, it'd be our jobs would be easy and you just start eliminating things that are <clears throat> causing a problem. Now, that said, I've also heard, you know, the raccoon population in North America is greater now than it's ever been. So maybe they've got a little bit more to do with that or, you know, some of the farming and I hell for my job, I sell insecticides, but I get it. They do cause issues. And, um, the one thing I, none of us can control, uh, is the weather. So we just kind of have to take that one as, as it comes. But, um, I don't certainly, know. Yeah, but you make a very good point. It, it is complicated. Right. I mean, there are a lot of factors out there that are influencing turkey numbers, um, and those factors interact with each other, sort of as I described. Uh, um, so weather can impact predation. I, I I run bird dogs, upland bird hunting. On a dry day, uh, my dogs perform terribly. They just can't smell birds to save their life. On a wet day, when those birds are wet, they look. My dogs look like world champions. I mean, they can find them from across the field. Uh, so I, I try to convey that message to, to the turkey hunter is a wet hen, uh, is, is much more likely to be found, uh, for maybe that simple of a reason is she's putting off more scent than a mammalian predator is going to be able to pick up on. Uh, so when I get those, those cross looks, when I start talking about weather, the eye rolls and like, oh, you don't want to talk about predation. Weather and predation go go hand in hand in some regards. Okay, so I'm going to derail this conversation, and I don't remember if you and I have talked about this. Last summer, I had uh, we had chicken coop at my house, and I don't know, I had six birds in there, and we were on vacation. And after we had a big thunderstorm, this was in June, a big thunderstorm that night, and I had a raccoon get in and took out a couple birds. My neighbor, my neighbor was giving me the play by play the day after. A couple days later, 
again, another big thunderstorm uh, and, and storms came through. The raccoon got in again and took three of the birds. And then when I finally got back and was able to set uh, a trap, it was another night of stormy weather that the raccoon came back. And so we still had birds in there. So like, I think the, we had six total to start. So that the first night they got two, the second night they got three. There was the the sixth one, the lone survivor, Buttercup. She's still there. Um, so there was always something there to entice them, but it was always when the rain came. And I found that that, that was interesting. The other thing in my mind was that my dog wasn't in the yard because he was at, at the camp. But uh, So maybe that that was also something that wasn't deterring them. But again, like you said, it all kind of maybe goes on top together. And in my little microcosm of my backyard chicken coop, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. With the chicken coop, of course, you have those birds in a place where that predator knows once they figure out they're there, they're likely to come back. The difference for a nesting turkey, nesting pheasant, nesting grouse, whatever the case might be, is they're doing their best to hide and never be discovered. Um, And so the disadvantage of putting off more scent is is a predator that might otherwise walk by uh, maybe detects that, that hen. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Interesting observation. I'm glad to hear buttercup made it, but she's still out there, man. She's kicking. We got new, new chickens. Now we've got two roosters out there. So she's got two cocks that are protecting her out in, out in the yep. coop. But the, uh, all right. So I'm going to play a little game ish. I want to throw some weather scenarios at you. And I just, you don't have to give like big, long answers, but just kind of the overall, you know, how that would affect a turkey's population, health overall in general. Okay. And some of these we've seen recently. So recently, December 23rd, when we were hitting wind chills of negative 35, what does that do to the birds? Um, I mean, by December, you're dealing with adult size birds uh, and, and wild turkeys are large compared to any of our other game birds. So I, I don't think uh, they're going to struggle in those severe winter cold snaps like many of our other game birds are. But uh, certainly they're going to need to eat more uh, to keep that body temperature up. So they might be more reliant on food sources at that time. And as long as it doesn't last too long, that, that cold snap, that's where it really gets you. It's, it's, it seems our game birds can, can ride out short uh, windows of severe winter weather, but it's when it drags out for, for days or weeks, that's when you start to see mortality associated with, with severe winter weather like that. But wild turkeys in general are pretty hardy and, and they can get through that stuff. They can scratch through the snow even potentially the ice, they can find the food they need and, and keep their body temperature up. Good. Good to hear. How about a mild winter? Um, yeah, yeah. No complaints. I suppose. I think turkeys do just fine in that they find the food they need. Um, their, their, uh, caloric needs are probably less than, than in a severe winter. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's probably a positive thing for, for wild turkey. But what's, is it also a positive thing for the pre- for predators? Um, or do they not need as many calories to stay warm? So they're not out hunting for food or, I mean, I guess once you got a, a, you know, you got a, a good, 
mature bird they can fly up and whatever but. yeah 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 good question um uh, i don't know whether it would be uh i mean it would be advantageous to the various turkey predators for for other reasons but i don't know that it gives the predators any specific advantage over the turkey uh, to have a mild winter like that okay. and the advantage might be or well the advantage might be for the turkey uh, spending less time foraging and moving to new areas uh, to forage uh, because those are, are points when game species, prey species are often susceptible to predation is the more time you have to spend looking for food, uh, often the more risk you have that you're going to encounter a predator or a predator is going to encounter you. Uh, so turkey predators might actually be at a disadvantage in those mild winters. How how about a wet spring? And you just touched on a little bit from, you know, the overall smell and then scent of, you know, the use your, your dogs as an example of the predators in general. But what else, once those eggs are in the nest and before the, they hatch, what's a, what's a wet spring some, you know, going to do? Yeah, yeah. The easy answer for nesting weather is uh, anything out of the ordinary is generally bad. Uh, and people often laugh at me when they, they what's ordinary right, in, in exactly, Ohio Spring? That's <laughs> yes. what I was going to say. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, any major deviation from uh, from normal temperatures and normal precipitation levels is, is generally viewed as bad. Some even... Uh, would claim that the dry years are bad, but I think a dry year for Ohio is probably a good thing for ground nesting birds um, uh, for a variety of reasons. We don't, even in drought years, uh, we don't see necessarily uh, negative impacts on, uh, on our wildlife populations. We don't have wildlife that are dying as a result of drought, uh, at least in nothing that, that I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, so I, drier, I think, is generally better for us in the spring uh, when you're talking ground nesting birds. So a wet year, uh, in, in most cases, I'm going to expect to see low poult numbers in that index when we get to July and August. Uh, you're probably going to have more nests fail. Uh, you're probably going to have more uh, hens killed on the nest. And you're probably going to have lower poult survival rates. Um I say probably with all of those because I don't know that for sure. It's just the pattern we see with our pulp index. Uh, I'm hopeful that this research with Ohio State University, uh, though investigating weather patterns is not a primary focus of the research, I'm hopeful that that maybe that's something we can glean from from their efforts monitoring all these hens through the nesting season. I don't think with, with weather data, I mean, that's always something you can go back and correlate kind of after the fact right because once it happens it's there it's uh you just go back and kind of see and that's and that's sort of where those my comments come from is going back and looking at past years of pult data so we have that pult index going back uh, 20 years or more and you can as you said look at, at some of the rough trends in weather from those years and often what you see is in a wet year our pulled index is down and in a dry year, spring, I should say, not year. Uh, typically, we look at the months of April, May, June, uh, when you've got the most 
nests on the ground and young poults. Um, so if you've got above average precipitation in those three months, those typically fall in line with our low poult years where the drier than average uh, periods, spring periods, uh, those are typically the years where we have above average poult production. Gotcha. How about a real knockdown, drag out thunderstorm? Um, yeah. So, so really severe storms or flooding are certainly a, a negative. Um, again, think about that hen. She's getting, she's just got those eggs in a depression in the ground. Um, so if she's in a flood prone area and when that flood occurs, that's a complete loss uh, of, the, of that clutch and, and those eggs and potentially small poults. Uh, so if those poults aren't flighted, uh, which occurs about three weeks. So if they're less than three weeks of age in an area that's going to flood uh, there, she's likely to lose that entire brood as well. So, um, and then even just if you're outside of a flooding, an area that might flood, uh, that hen has has got to keep those poults dry and warm through that severe thunderstorm event. So, yeah, any any severe events like that with heavy rain uh, or drop in temperature after the rain, those sorts of things are are definitely going to be negative uh, on your poult production for that year. So, knock on wood. So far, we've been in Ohio, been pretty lucky on severe weather. I know we're just kind of getting started here this spring, but, you know, down south, I, I just drove back through Arkansas and, you know, they had a uh, just chain of th- tornadoes and all kinds of stuff down there. Would you think that will cause any kind of major disruption to their their flock down there? Oh, that's a that's a really good question. I, I mean, I, I've seen uh, some of the wind damage that's been uh, highlighted on the news. And, and of course, that's a terrible thing. I don't know, you know, in, in those specific areas uh, where there was severe damage to to forested areas, uh, maybe there was some direct loss or, or uh, loss of birds or loss of habitat. Um, but I don't know how much rainfall accompanied uh, those events, and maybe that would be the more broad impact uh, over a, a large area. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know enough about exactly what those storms were like other than what I've seen the, the, the uh, sort of carnage on the, on the news, unfortunately. So, okay. Off of the weather game now, um, what are, what are the turkeys doing right now? And it is April 4th. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well-timed question because I, I just spoke with the OSU researchers, uh, and so we've got uh, j- just shy of 50 hens marked with GPS transmitters, and several of them were in uh, in winter flocks still up till last week. Um, and we're we're seeing those those birds break off into twos and threes now. Uh, so it's it's very interesting to watch a group of uh, you know seven or eight hens that have all been together for more than a month. They probably were together all winter, but we just marked them recently in, in February and March. And so now you're starting to see those groups of seven or eight transmitters together uh, sort of break off into again twos and threes. Uh, some single birds uh, shearing off and making some large movements to new areas where they've not been for for a month or uh, or two. Um, so winter flocks are breaking up. Um, actually, some of the 
folks at OSU that are, are tracking these hens have watched hens moving to areas with displaying gobblers. So we're probably already seeing some of the, the early preliminary, uh, you know, breeding activity occurring. Uh, so yeah, spring is, is underway. And of course, anybody that's been out late, like I was this morning, there is some, some good gobbling activity going on. And I hope there's, there's better yet to come. So the, and the time frame of this, and remember you're, you're talking to the Turkey novice, Paul is probably going to listen to this and cringe that I'm asking questions. So we're the first week of April, they're starting to break up, uh, and begin the breeding session. How long before, I don't know, 50% of the hens are bred 75% and then we're done. Obviously our Turkey season starts April 22nd. Uh, but the, and I think we're a lot later than some States because we try to give them a little bit more time to get, get bred in the, in, in the process. Yeah. Yeah. So, so most States try to position their spring season, um, so that it opens at near the median date of incubation initiation. Okay. Meaning, um, you would like, it would be ideal if your spring season started when about half of your hens have already started sitting on their nest to warm those eggs and, and hatch them. They're not going to leave that nest. They're, they've begun in incubation. Uh, where you probably still have a large fraction of your birds, your hens, that are laying. They've got a nest established, and they're depositing an egg every couple of days. Um, so we can probably backtrack from there and, and mark off some dates where, you know, half of your hens are bred, as you mentioned. Um, but I don't – I'm not – I won't be able to do that for you today. Um, but – yeah, so so the study that I mentioned from 17 years ago, uh, that identified a date, the May 1st, as our median date of incubation initiation uh, in uh, in southeast Ohio, and then from that we we actually start our season a little early. Uh, so our season often opens in the third or fourth week of April. So we're a little bit earlier than would be considered ideal. Uh, which is common in a lot of states. There is usually pretty intense pressure to open a season earlier and earlier and earlier. Spring hunters are chomping at the bit to get out in the field. I, I completely understand that. And um, we do our best to keep that season at an appropriate time where gobbling activity is still high, but birds have a chance, gobblers have a chance to fertilize those hens, and then hens are moving off to start those nests uh, before the bulk of hens are, are moving off to nest before that spring season starts so there's there's surely some breeding activity that's that's already occurring here in the in the first week of april uh, but we won't see the the bulk of that for another week or two um, and then as the season comes in we'll we'll likely already have some hens incubating so the ones that are incubating when the season starts how long does is the incubation process 27 days i believe so about a month so in reality, what's the end of our season? Sorry, get, oh, get my book out here real quick. Yeah, you'll beat me to it. May 21st, looks like. So realistically, if you went out May 21st, I think I'm reading that right, at least in the southern zone, um, you could see some poults running around. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, there will be there will be poults even earlier than that in the in the spring season. Uh, so um, we have some very early nesters, and they kind of they're rolling the dice that they're going to be successful with that. Uh, probably a lot more threat of uh, of inclement weather uh, during that early season, and then you're going to. Again, we we try to position our season. We try to focus on the peak of that activity, whether it's gobbling activity, whether it's nesting activity, whatever it is. You're always going to have some that are very early, some some that go very late, and we try to focus on that peak. Um, so so there will each each spring, I typically get reports of very small poults in the first and even uh, first and second week of the season, and the, those are unusual. Um, but it, it does happen. All right. So for anybody who's not a turkey biologist or a bird biologist, you, if you stumble upon a nest, what, what should you do? Um, walk backwards and leave the area. Yep. Um, uh, do your best not to disturb the hen. Unfortunately, typically the way we find those nests is the hen blows off of them and flies away. Um, uh, but I, I would definitely suggest you just uh, follow your footsteps the way you came and back out of there and try to avoid that area from then on. Um, those Some of those hens are, are going to abandon the nest. That, that just is going to happen. Um, so I, I generally, folks always want to ask, well, can I put a camera on the nest? You know, can I come back and check on it? Uh, each visit, each time that you come there, even that first time, there's going to be some risk that that hen abandons that nest and doesn't come back. Um, so I generally advise people don't visit again, uh, just back away and, uh, you can wait till later in the summer and, and, and maybe investigate the eggshells and get some sense of whether those eggs have hatched or, or if they were predated. Gotcha. All right. Let's see here. Um, do you want to talk any more about that research you guys are doing? And is this oh, is this the rocket launcher net gun thing that Paul was all excited about? It is, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's it, it's a means of, of turkey capture that's been used for for decades. It was uh, sort of pivotal to the, um, the the restoration effort, catching large numbers of wild turkey and moving them state to state from the states that still had wild turkey to to states like Ohio that no longer had wild turkey. So. Um, it's yeah, I mean, it it's, sounded it's, awesome. It's, yeah, yeah, it, it's not the uh, it's not the cartoon looking rocket, you, you know, or the rocket you might have played with as a kid. It, it looked just essentially like a metal pipe, big thick metal pipe, um, and uh, rocket ports on the back. You load an explosive charge in there. Uh, it's it's connected to a large net, uh, about sixty to seventy feet wide and long. Um, and that's all packed into a box and the rockets sit on top and, uh, you, you, then you're basically turkey hunting. You're just waiting for turkeys to come into bait. Um, we, we bait with corn during the winter months. Uh, so, so turkeys are, are, are pretty susceptible. They, they come into corn fairly readily at that, at that, uh, time of year. Um, and basically the, the tricky part is, is when you get a large number of birds in is, is getting them all in the right position and, and out of any dangerous areas. 
uh, so that you can deploy that net safely and, and capture a large number of birds. So it's it's a uh, it's a very interesting process. Uh, we're very fortunate in the Division of Wildlife that a number of our staff uh, were part of either the restoration effort or or uh, turkey research that went on decades ago, uh, because it is very much an art. Uh, not only positioning bet bait and net, um, but uh, knowing when to trigger the net, when is a safe time, uh, you know, you've got birds on the bait and birds moving towards or away from the bait. Uh, you might have birds come to bait and move off and move back. Uh, we've also had birds move onto the bait. And then uh, I waited a little too long, hoping for some other birds to join them. And the whole flock left in, into the woods and, and never came back. That was a hard day that was that was a tough pill to swallow um but again for, we're very fortunate that we have some experienced staff that have been able to train younger generations of, of wildlife staff like myself that have never experienced this this turkey netting uh, this capture method um and so we were we were very successful this spring despite uh some uh challenging weather i'll say you you typically want snow uh, snow seems to bring turkeys to bait uh, even more than than they they normally would, and we actually had, uh, I believe, I heard this was the first February on record with no no measurable snowfall. <laughs> so despite that, we got our birds caught. Good. And what kind of stuff are you guys tracking with that? Uh, so so with the with the GPS transmitters, you mean? Just yeah, yeah. So we we get daily updates uh of bird movement um and, and then uh um as nesting season begins we'll we'll be able to identify almost to the day when those birds begin uh incubating nests that'll give us a, a, a date that we'll use to identify that median incubation date um and then we'll be able to monitor the movement of those hens while on nest as well we won't have to visit the nest but we'll be able to remotely monitor their uh their activity um, to get some sense of whether nests were successful or not. So if she's on that, if we can tell she's on that nest for 27, 28 days and then begins to move off, uh, she likely had a successful nest and has poults with her. And we'll be able to verify that with uh, uh, trying to trying to find her later when it's more safe for, for us to do so. If she's only on that nest for 14 days and then she moves off or the transmitter lets us know that she's she's dead. They, they do have a mortality signal that lets us know that transmitter hasn't moved for a period of time and the bird is likely dead. But if she leaves that nest early and doesn't come back, uh, we'll, we'll go in and we'll try to investigate what happened to that nest. Why did she either abandon it or, or was it predated? Uh, what, what, whatever the case might be. So, uh, so it, it'll give us very detailed information on turkey movement, their habitat use, uh, when and where they nest, and then how successful were those nests. And then, as I mentioned, the hens that still have poults or the hens that successfully nest and, and hatch poults, we'll track them down at about three weeks after the, after the hatching date, and we'll, we'll try to get a count of the number of poults that she has. The easiest way to do that, it sounds like, uh, from states that have been doing it for a, a while now, is to go in very early in the morning and count them on the roost. Uh, so by that time, she ought to be tree roosting with with young poults. And so you ought to be able to 
fairly clearly see. We'll probably use an infrared scope um, and try to identify her and then count each pole that she's got with her. And that'll give us some sense, kind of like the summer survey, that'll give us some sense of how successful those pulls were. Excuse me. Um, well, that's very, very interesting. I'm curious to see what you guys come up with it. And how many years are you guys going to run this study? Um, so we'll, we'll monitor hens throughout this entire nesting season and next season, and then probably into 2025 as well. Sounds like a good master's thesis or PhD project. Is that? Yeah, there's a master's student working on it. There you and go. There may be another one coming on soon. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, man, I think that's about about all I got for today. I, this was great catching up and uh, hearing about where things are at in the state. Is there anything else that you want to talk about or, or have to say as far as what people should be looking for this spring when they're out in the woods or? I think we, I think we covered it all. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let Paul give you a hard time. I think you, you knocked it out of the park. Oh, it, that just comes with, with Paul. He just always a hard time. So <laughs> anywho, well, Mark, we really appreciate your time today. Looking forward to a great season and, uh, Hope, hope you can get some sleep, and uh, I'm eager, eager to hear about the study. So we'll get back to it here come late, maybe late summer. So that sounds good. All right, thanks, Mark.